It's great to be here with you this morning. We're so thankful uh, for our friendship with the, the Boyd family that has led us to be able to be here at Bobby Branch quite a few times for um, just different occasions, VBS, and coming to listen um, to sermons and gospel meetings and things like that. And we're just so thankful for the love of the brethren here. We're also so thankful for the uh, partnership that you have taken up in supporting us to go to New Zealand. Obviously, missionaries would not be able to go to where the gospel needed to be preached if there wasn't someone willing to send them. So we're so very, very, very thankful for the congregation here. If you will, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's going to be the first verse that we uh, start looking at today. Have you ever started something with the best of intentions without thinking about the hard work that might be involved? Maybe it was a, a project or Maybe a new job, or for us uh, who have you know, gone through school, you know, I remember starting out classes and thinking, this semester is going to be so great. And then by the end of the semester or by midterms, I was thinking, what in the world was I thinking choosing um, these classes? I remember as a, a high school student, I took my first job as a bag boy at a grocery store called Market Basket. And what I thought the job was going to be like, I thought I would be getting some pretty big tips from the old ladies that you know, I would take the groceries out to the car. I thought that I would be getting a good employee discount. Me and my friends would go there and get donuts all the time anyway, so might as well get them for cheaper. And I was also, as a bag boy, got to hang out with all the high school girls who were the cashiers there. So it would have been a perfect job for a high school student, but I wasn't thinking about the hard work and things that were involved. What I didn't realize was that whenever carts were outside in the parking lot, no matter what the weather was, I would have to go out and get them. And in southeast Texas in the summer, that wasn't uh, all that pleasant. Second, secondly, anytime I would hear clean up on aisle three, um, somebody has to go and clean that up. And it's, it was mostly uh, the bag boy, and it was, uh, that wasn't very pleasant either. And the worst part about the job was in, in Texas, I don't know about here, probably not. Um, you guys seem to be very refined and civilized, but we have something called crawfish season. Um, people would, would get together and you know, have, this, have these crawfish and eat these mud bugs. I never really liked them. Um, but somebody had to get back there and prepare those so that we could sell them at the grocery store. And so I'd have to go prepare the crawfish. Then after it was all over, I would have to go clean out these big coolers that we would serve them in. It was one of the worst things um, that I've ever done. But I was looking at this job with rose-tinted glasses. I was looking at this as something I'm going to get all these benefits. I'm so, so much looking forward to it. And then when I got into the job, when I got to work, it was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. I'm wondering if we're ever guilty of this in our Christian lives. I'm wondering if, you know, whenever we think about what it means to be a Christian, we think of all these benefits, but we don't think about the hard work and the temptation and the struggles and things that come along with being a Christian. Sometimes we forget the hard work and the sacrifices that come with dying to self and living to Christ, which is, I think, a very good definition of what Christianity is. Jesus, Jesus teaches us to count the cost. I really hate it when preachers get up and say to turn somewhere and then they tell you to go somewhere else again. But hold your finger in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's go over to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, we'll start in verse 25 to 33. Whenever we're conducting personal Bible studies, this is one of the places that we go. Before before someone decides to be a Christian, we ask them, are you willing to count the cost? Now, it sounds great. We're able to have our sins forgiven. We're able to be a Christian. We look forward to heaven, but are are we willing to count the cost, the hard things that are associated with that? Luke 14, verse 25. And there were great multitudes with him, and turned and said, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come unto me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and his children and his brethren and sisters, yea, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. 
Jesus said some very revolutionary things, thinking that I must hate my mother, hate my father, hate my wife, my own children. Obviously we know that Jesus doesn't want us to hate them. He wants us to love them less than we love him. We can't let our families come in between our relationship with God. We can't let our families do that. And so Jesus says we have to be willing to love him a lot more than we love our families. Verse 27, whoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Another thing, we have to be able to be willing to die for Christ. Verse 28, for which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has sufficient funds to finish it. Lest afterwards he look and after he laid the foundation, he is not able to finish it, and all that behold it begin to mock him. I mean, you know, imagine wanting to build a big house, and you go and you lay the foundation, and you figure, you figure out, I ran out of money. I'm not able to finish this house. Everybody that drives by says, yeah, I remember that guy. He was going to build this big, nice mansion, but he didn't have enough to finish the job. And Jesus asks us, are we able, are we willing to do these things, are we going to be able to finish the job as a Christian? And the part of our Christian job description that I want to think about this morning is something that um, I really love to talk about. Naturally, I love talking about evangelism. And, you know, we just took the Lord's Supper, and I hope that we make that something special. Every week, I hope we remember what Jesus has done for us and what he's commanded us to do in remembering to take of his body and to take of his blood but when we think about evangelism, what we're going to talk about today, and I think when we talk about any Bible topic, we need to think, what does this have to do with the cross? Knowing what Jesus has done for us, naturally and logically, we must go and teach others about what he's also done for them. I wanted to talk about evangelism this morning. Have we counted the cost in, in our Christian life? You know, we know that we will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus who I assume is all of us being here this morning willing to worship him, says that all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, sometimes we say, well, not in America. Well, it might come to a time where we will. Where getting up here and preaching the gospel will be against what society wants and what the government wants. Also, something we need to count the cost, 1 Peter 5.7 tells us to be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We're going to be tempted in this. But Romans 8.18 tells us that I consider the sufferings of this present time are not, worth, are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. So thinking about you know, that job that I had at Market Basket, uh, working as a bag boy, I wasn't ready for the hard work that was involved. But Jesus says that the hard work that's involved in Christianity is going to lead to something that is worth so much more we won't even remember what the trials and the temptations of this life were. But thinking about evangelism, thankful for the uh, man that read the, the scripture reading this morning. We'll go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 now. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 17. Now this passage was originally written, obviously, by Paul to the Corinthian brethren. And he was thinking, I'm sure in his mind, about he and the other apostles who had a special sending out from Christ to go and teach the message to the world. Um, Paul specifically thinking about going out and speaking to the Gentiles that Jesus had especially commissioned him to do. But I think we can learn a lot about evangelism from this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. I guess the first question we ask this morning, are we in Christ? Individually, am I in Christ? Have I been clothed in Christ? Galatians 3.27 tells us that we've been baptized into Christ, and that's what, helps us, that's what allows us to put on Christ. So first off, 
if we've been clothed with Christ, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. I hope, that is, hope that's something true of our lives. Verse 18, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we probably don't use that word reconciliation very often, but what it is is to bring two parties who are at war with one another or who were against one another and bring them into a peaceful uh, friendship, bring them into a relationship, bring them back where they're not at war anymore. When we look at verse 16, this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Excuse me, uh, verse 18. This is exactly what Jesus has done for us. God sent Jesus so that our relationship with God could be reconciled. The sin that separated us from God, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, has been, been reconciled. It's been dealt with through Christ, through the blood of the cross, and we've been brought back together with God. But what does he say after that? That's not where we stop. A lot of times as Christians, when we preach, that is where we stop. We're so thankful for Jesus. But logically, the next step, looking at verse 18, he's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespass against them, and he hath committed to us the word of reconciliation. So there is a word, there is something that has been taught that is supposed to bring mankind back to God. And it's supposed to, as, as, as we've seen as an example, Jesus Christ bringing us to God, we've been given that responsibility. We've been given that message of reconciliation. We've been given that word of reconciliation. We have the responsibility now that we've been reconciled to go and to teach the world what it means for them to have a right relationship with Christ. So we continue. Verse 20, I think, is where it gets very serious and where it really starts making sense. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. I can't imagine this, that but in, in other translations, instead of the word beseech, uh, we go and we, we see maybe from the English Standard, from the New King James, that it says that we are that Christ speaks to the world in, on our behalf. He, he speaks to the world through us. It says we are ambassadors for Christ. And I'm thinking, you know, am I living in a way, am I speaking and saying things and doing things in a way that Jesus is speaking to the world through my actions, through the things that I do and say? And I really hope that that's the case. Says we are ambassadors for Christ. We have the opportunity to speak from Christ to the world and tell them what Jesus wants them to know and how they can be saved. And so looking at this, I think that's something that we need to focus on a lot more. How can we be better reconcilers? We need to be the best reconcilers we can be. That's what God wants us to do. We need to be good ambassadors for Christ. We need to live as if Jesus was speaking through us. And I think we see a very, very good example of this in the book of Acts in chapter 17. Let's go to Acts 17 and look at the example of Paul in Athens. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Acts 17. The context here, Paul is on his second evangelistic campaign with his friend Silas and Timothy. He's been run out of town by Judaizers in Philippi and then Thessalonica and then Berea. And so he's come to Athens but the thing is, Paul has come to Athens by himself. He's waiting for Timothy and waiting for Silas to come and to meet with him. And I just can't imagine what it would be like to be the very first Christian to walk into this major city. To be the first one to come there and to look around and to see these idols. Let's start reading. Acts 17, we'll start in verse 15. 
And those who conducted Paul brought him into Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Paul walked around the city, and Paul, though he had been a Christian for a number of years, the majority of his life he was a Jew. And even though he was a Jew, he was still a monotheist. He recognized that there was only one God, and all other gods were just made up and worshipped by men. And so as he was in Athens, he recognized the sin that was going on in that city with all of these idols, with all of these houses of worship to false gods, with all these sacrifices that were being made. And what does it say about Paul? What does it say in verse 16? It says that Paul was provoked. I think the first point, uh, I learned this at Free Hardman, that if you want to uh, have the audience remember um, the points that you're going to make, make them all start with the same letter. And so the first point is that Paul was provoked. If we want to be better reconcilers, the first thing we need to do is to be provoked by the sin that we see around us. There was a, um, a Roman historian named Petronius, and he said about Athens that it was much easier to find a god in Athens than it was to find a man. If you needed to go find Apollos and make a sacrifice to him, it would be pretty easy to do that. If you needed to go find Zeus or Hera and make a sacrifice to them, it would do that. It would be very easy to do that, but if you needed to go find a, a guy down the street, it might be difficult to. Um, Petronius said that about Athens, and Paul was very, very um, provoked by the things that he saw around him. Now, obviously, in our world, the same is very, very true. I hope that we are provoked also. All you have to do is turn on the TV or, or get on the Internet and see that we live in a very dark and filthy world. And as Christians, we need to recognize that. As, as saints, people who are holy, we should have separated ourselves from those kind of things. Now, I know our kids are exposed to bad language and to other um, bad examples at school. Just as a substitute for a while of, of sixth grade, I was amazed at the things that I was hearing um, in these sixth grade classrooms. But what Jesus said to Paul in Acts 26:18, I think, is very clear. Jesus is commissioning Paul, and Paul is recounting this to the Jews. And Paul says that Jesus told, this is what I was commissioned to do, to open their eyes, speaking of the Gentiles, so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified. Paul recognized that we live in a very, very dark world and that Satan does have power. And the only way to defeat that temptation, the only way to defeat the power of Satan is through the power of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul decided to do. And this is the reason why. This, and we're going we're gonna to look a little bit later at, at 1 Corinthians and see what Paul did and how he was able to do this. But the reason why he did these things is so that these people might receive the forgiveness of sins, so that they might have a place among those who are sanctified. Now, hopefully as a church, we don't look at ourselves and say, well, we are just so much better than those sinners that aren't here. You know, I drove to church this morning and I saw people going ready to go to the lake. Saw people getting ready to just have a good time today and maybe have a barbecue, and they weren't getting ready for church at all. We're just so much better than them. I hope we don't think that. I hope we remember that at one time we were sinners, and we've been set apart by God. We've been sanctified, and we want everyone else to be a part of this too. We want everyone else to be a part of, of God's love as we've been able to do that. I think if our hearts aren't provoked by the sin that we see around us, something is definitely wrong with our faith. So first off, Paul was provoked by the sin that he saw around him. The second point, the second P this morning is that Paul was prepared. Let's read verses 17 through 21 of Acts 17. Therefore, Paul disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and said, What does this babbler wish to say? And others 
he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him into the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is, whereof thou speakest? For thou bring strange things to our ears, we would therefore like to know what these things mean. For the Athenians and strangers that lived there um, spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. Paul goes into the, into the city of Athens, and as is his custom, he goes to the synagogue, and he goes and preaches to these people about Moses. And he goes and says, do you remember the prophet that Moses talked about? He goes and says, do you remember what we read in the prophets? Thinking about a suffering servant that would be coming. The Christ is here. Jesus Christ has come and he's been crucified and resurrected. And we need to follow him. The Messiah has come. But Paul wasn't just going to the synagogue. After that, we see that Paul also went to the marketplaces. He reasoned with the people that were there. And while he was doing that, he caught the attention of some of these um, philosophical groups. the, the e- Not the Ethiopians, sorry. <laughs> The um, Epicureans and the Stoics, they invited him to come to the Areopagus to speak. And so Paul was able not only to speak to these Jews, he was also able to speak to these people as well. He was prepared. Paul knew what needed to be said, and he went out and said it. He didn't wait around for his friends to get there. He went out and, and spoke. He was prepared to speak to many different kinds of people, and he went and he did that. Um, an example that reminds me so much of this when we were in New Ze- the times that we've been in New Zealand, door knocking, and it's a lot different than door knocking around here. If you've ever done door knocking around here, a lot of times you'll knock on the door and somebody will claim some type of personal faith. You know, well, my grandparents were Baptist. I guess that makes me Baptist. Uh, you knock on another door, well, I'm Presbyterian. You know, I'm Catholic. Maybe not as much around here. Um, but everybody starts with a certain level of faith in Jesus Christ. They believe at least in God, and they believe that, that Jesus is his son. Now, that's, I'd say that's most of the doors you would knock around here. But in New Zealand, you knock on a door, and this here's a Hindu comes to the door. The next door is an atheist, complete atheist, has no belief in God at all. The next door you knock on is a Muslim. The next door you knock on is an Anglican. Um, and so there's just so many different types of people that we were talking to that at the end of the day of door knocking, I was just exhausted. I'm mentally exhausted. I'd been doing somersaults thinking about how I can bring each one of these types of people who come from so many different backgrounds closer to Christ. But Paul was able to do that in Athens. He was able to speak to the Jews. He was able to speak to the Gentiles who had no clue who Moses was. And he was able to bring them the message of Christ. So Paul was prepared. 2 Timothy 4.2 tells us to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort with, with complete patience and teaching. Am I able to preach to people? We call the person who gets up here the preacher, but don't we all have a responsibility to teach the gospel to the people that are around us? I think we do. Are we ready to do that? Another passage you'd be familiar with is 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, yet do it in gentleness and respect. Can I give a defense to someone whenever they ask me about my hope, when they ask me about my faith? And this is where Bible study plays a huge role in our lives. We won't be productive if we aren't first prepared. It's not enough to be provoked by the sin around us. We have to be prepared to deal with it. We have to be prepared to go out there and to to take it on and to talk to people about Christ. Not only was Paul provoked, not only was he prepared, Paul was very purposeful in the things that he spoke. We're going to read this passage, 22 through 31. This is Paul's lesson. Uh, This is the, the message that he got to speak at the Areopagus. Now remember, these are people that don't know about the law of Moses. These are people that don't know much about Abraham. These are people that don't know 
hardly anything about the expected Messiah. These are Gentiles. These are pagans. And so Paul speaks to them in a way that is that they would be um, receptive. Verse 23. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 22. Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious or very superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one you ignorantly worship, him I declare unto you. God, who made the world and all things within it, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made of human hands. Neither is he worshipped by man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has determined the times before they, before they were appointed and the boundaries of their habitation. Verse 27 is probably the place where Paul stopped and said, This is where it applies to us. This is what we need to do. So that they might seek the Lord. So that they might grope and feel toward him. And find him because he is not far from every one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, We are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of ignorance, God formerly overlooked or winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he hath ordained, uh, the one who is, he has given assurance to all men by resurrecting him from the dead. At this point, Paul I'm not sure if that's where he wanted to stop, but that's where he was cut off by his audience. But let's look a little bit closer at what Paul has just done. Paul doesn't say, do you remember the Messiah that we, that we know from the Old Testament? Do you remember what Moses said about that great prophet that would be coming? Now, these people had no idea about that. Paul was very purposeful in speaking to these Athenians, these Areopagites, in a way that they would understand. He starts off with a, a physical illustration. We saw this idol as we were walking through of the the not the idol, this altar to the unknown God. Now this God that you want to worship, you want to make sure that you don't miss any of these gods, this is the God that I want to proclaim to you, this one that you do not know. And so using something that they know from their everyday life, walking past it, and this wasn't something only in Athens, there's historical evidence that these altars to the unknown God were quite a popular thing to have in different cities. You know, Paul takes this and says, there is an unknown God and I'm going to tell you about him. Look what else he did. Paul took Greek poetry. I think it's really interesting. You go and read some of, other, some of Paul's other lessons, some of Paul's other sermons, and he's quoting the whole time from the Old Testament. This, from the Old Testament, what we're reading, that was fulfilled in Christ. But what he does here says, some of your own poets even have some truthful messages in what they have spoken. Um, Athanasius is one of those. And what he says, let's see, um, verse 27. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 28. We live and move and have our being, as certain of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So instead of quoting the Old Testament, Paul quotes something that these people would be familiar with. When we turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're able to see that Paul did this in a lot of his, in a lot of his teaching. 1 Corinthians 9, we'll look in verse 19 through 23. But just as he did this to the, to the Athenians, he used Greek examples to point to God. I think we can do this also. 1 Corinthians 9, we'll look in verse, starting in verse 19. 
Paul writes, For though I am free from all men, yet I have made myself a servant to all, that I might gain the more. Okay, Paul has, has purposely and willingly set himself aside to be a servant. And what purpose is that for? So that he might gain more souls. Let me ask the question, are we looking at people as souls? Do we see people, you know, as we drive to work, as we are at school, do we see them as souls that God wants and to be a part of his family? Are they just people that get in our way, people that get on our nerves, annoy us, um, things like that? We need to recognize that we, we can do things. We can, um, we can do some things for ourselves to make, us more, to make other people more receptive to, to the gospel of Christ, and that's what Paul has done here. Verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them who are without the law, as without the law. Not, not with being out with the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak. And then this is where, you know, probably the thesis of what Paul is trying to say. This is where he would underline and say, this is, this is the point. I've made myself all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And I do this for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker of it thereof with you. And Paul's saying, I go into these people, I teach them in a way that they can understand. We meet people where they're at, where they need to be. We go and talk to a mom, um, who has, you know, a single mom who has children who aren't in Bible school. We can tell her how great it would be for her children to be in Bible school, to be learning about Jesus Christ. To an older person, we can tell them about the rest and the peace that Christ provides to those who follow him. To a homeless person, we can help them and we can tell them about Christ's compassion. We can tell them about the home that they'll have in the church now and the home that they'll have later in heaven. But in our conversation with any type of people, we can appeal to them about God, just as Paul has done here. We have to do these things. We have to become all things to all people so that we might be able to save some. I think if we do these things, if we're provoked by the sin around us, if we're prepared to deal with that and to tell people the truth, and if we are uh, provoked, prepared, and if we are also purposeful in the way that we do that, I think we will be productive. Let's go back to Acts 17 and see what has happened to Paul, see what has happened after this lesson that he's given. Acts 17, we'll look in verse 32. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear you again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men came unto Paul and clung to him, and they believed, among which was Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Obviously, when we go and knock on doors, we're not expecting every single door to say, Come on in, let's have a Bible study. Um, obviously, when we, we talk to our friends and talk to our family, sometimes they're not going to be receptive. And I think we have to be ready for that. Jesus, the own Son of God, came to this world and was rejected and denied by men. We have to know if the, that happened to the Master, that's also going to happen to us. And so the first, the first reaction, people made Paul stop talking. They heard of the resurrection of the dead and they mocked. But there was a gr another group of people that said, we will hear you again about this matter. Something about what Paul said interested them, and they wanted to know more about this, this God that Paul proclaimed. So Paul departed from among them. And then in verse 34, there was a few certain individuals who came and who joined themselves with Paul, who believed in Christ, who became Christians, Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. 
In our first campaign that we went and did in Port Rua, um, where Aaron and I will be going at the end of August, we went and we knocked doors. We took a big group from Free Hardeman and we tried to knock a door or put some material in every single house in, in the city. And it's about the size of Jackson, Tennessee, the, the population of the city. So we had a big job. And of doing all that, all these houses, you know, we came up with about 25 Bible studies. With those 25 Bible studies, we came up with about three converts, three people that decided that they would follow Jesus, that they would be baptized, and that they would join themselves with the, the church. And so for all that work that we had done, it was, it was worth it for those two souls, for Yanni and for June, these people that we're going to be going and worshiping with as our brothers and sisters in Christ as we get there. You know, I've got a, another story. My, my dad grew up in Florida, grew up in Orlando. Um, and his father was an alcoholic. His mother was also. And his dad died whenever he was 13. And then his mom kind of drank herself to death after that. And a woman down the street saw a situation with a, a young boy and his sister and said, I'm, I'm able to help them. I can do something about this. And so she brought them with her to, to live with her. And she took them to church. She took them and sent them to a Church of Christ children's home. And because of this woman who saw a situation and because of what she did, you know, my dad was able to go to um, Freed Heart and my dad was able to become a preacher. And because of what she did, I was able to learn the gospel that she taught my dad. I was able to learn it from him. So we have to ask ourselves, how much is our faith worth? Are we willing to share that with someone else? It is so worth it um, when we're able to do that. Now, as is customary, we have a, an invitation song after our lesson. I wanted to come this morning, not necessarily to try to prick anyone's heart of, of any sin or anything like that, but let's take, out our, let's take our songbooks out now. I want to ask the, these questions in conclusion as we think about Paul, as we think about our responsibility to the world in reconciliation. First off, are we provoked? Now, is there sin in our lives that is bothering us? It should be bothering us. If there's sin in our life, it should be bothering us that we want to do something about it. Does the darkness of this world bother you, the things that we see around us every day? And do you want to do something about it? Secondly, are we prepared? Can we use the Word of God to defend the truth? Can we use the Word of God to attack these false doctrines that are being taught, um, that are condemning men's souls to hell? Can we use the Word of God to teach? Are we able to do that? Am I prepared? Thirdly, am I purposeful? Do I think about the lost souls that are around me and how I can better train myself to teach them and bring them closer to Christ? And then I think as a test, and as we saw Paul, after doing those things, was productive. Have we been productive? You know, have we? Is there some people on the judgment day that we can say, Lord, these are the ones that I've tried very hard to bring to you, that I've tried to teach? As an invitation this morning, I want to ask you, are you a Christian? Have you given your life to Jesus in obedience in the commands of repentance and baptism. Maybe if you aren't a Christian, this is the perfect time to do that. I know it is. There's no, there's no better time than now. If you are a Christian and you've fallen away from that eagerness and that zeal that we had when we first became Christians, this is the perfect time also to come and to be encouraged. If there's any way that we can further help you in being more obedient to Christ, please come forward as we stand and sing the invitation song.